Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Phew. Yay. God. Yo. Nail biter. I guess some would say it still is a nail biter, but I, I think we did it. Yowie. I don't know if some of you are as sort of sleep deprived as me, because even if you did say, ah, to heck with it, I'm going to bed, the odds are you couldn't sleep. Um, anyway, so don't get much closer than that. This is one of those elections where uh, you point to to explain to those strange folk who think their votes don't count, that in fact their votes do count uh, and can be immeasurably important. Um, Carlo, I see you're fooling with the, the lights. The lights in here are seemingly really low these days or strange. Really? I've been told by somebody recently that I look green and that it's most unflattering. And I'm sorry if I if I do. Seems to be some very tepid lighting above me. I don't know. Uh, this is not a studio. Uh, we're sitting in a conference room. <laughs> and uh, this is our makeshift studio. So it is not uh, lit for uh, the likes of me. Anyway, that being said, wow. Wow, and I especially want to tip my hat to my fellow residents of Allegheny County who live in uh, what currently constitutes the 18th Congressional District uh, because you turned out in, in really, really strong numbers. It's uh, a mark of how really weak our democracy is, our, our, um, the, our citizens... Uh, sense of their responsibility in it that a 50% voter turnout is huge and that's what you guys did in Allegheny County and because that is so much uh, higher than one would anticipate in um, in any uh, election that was not a national election uh, let alone a special election um, for a congressional seat, which will not exist um, in in a few months, um, is is pretty amazing, and it shows a level of passion uh, and desire to use that vote to make a statement, uh, to finally feel that you can act. Uh, rather than acting out, which is what most of us have been left to do uh, for the last uh, year and a half. So the ability to act and what you saw by this uh, apparent victory is the fact that no one has managed to uh, energize the Democrats and I'm going to go beyond Democrats. Uh, the disgusted Republicans, uh, disappointed Republicans, uh, independents, more. 
than uh, Donald Trump. You know, in, in many ways, this despicable man, uh, this pathetic man, this dangerous man, has been a strange uh, boon uh, in some ways, even as he terrifies us and sets our country back and lets loose uh, a lot of vermin that have otherwise been kept under rocks for some time. Um, he, he, I think, will help energize what is, in many respects, a moribund Democratic Party. The both parties are um, are in bad shape, and uh, the Democratic Party is as as well. I would say the Republican Party may be in a slightly worse condition, uh, but. You know, I sit on boards of uh, Planned Parenthood and of the ACLU and uh, at recent board meetings, you know, where you look at the financials. I mean, it, it really is astonishing, the, um, the support, both financial and through membership, that uh, Donald Trump has, has kicked off in organizations that now are m more necessary than ever and need those resources to um, to fight him. Um, amazing. All right, so uh, what do we have? We have a victory, uh, last I saw, what, 641 votes? Is that where it stands? Uh, the uh, it came down to the counting of absentee ballots, and when I heard that the we were going to have to wait on the absentee ballots from Washington County, I got very nervous because the race was even closer at that point, and Washington County is a, a reliably uh, red county, so I figured, uh oh, well those ballots are going to come in for Sacone. They did not. They did not. It's just amazing. And so, uh, Connor Lamb uh, is going to Washington, albeit for a short tenure, and then likely will be running uh, in a new district and taking on uh, Keith Rothfuss, another extreme right-wing Republican in his redrawn district, which is not as uh, Republican as it has been uh, when, when Rothfuss enjoyed his victories. So this is going to be interesting. I should note also that there are a lot of people already uh, declared as wanting to run in a uh, against Rothfuss, Keith Rothfuss. So Coming up, we're going to have some interesting uh, intra-party uh, contests. Um, we are going to see m Democrats more progressive than Connor Lamb appears to be, uh, vying in a primary for the right to run against Keith Rothfuss. And... This is where, I don't know, I am going to be my, um, the pragmatist that is uh, who I am when I approach elections. 
Um, I think we're going to see a lot of Democrats at each other's throats in that primary. I'm saying that right now. Assuming Connor Lamb comes in to that primary as an incumbent from this, this 18th district and taking on a fellow incumbent in Keith Rothfuss, you could argue that with Connor Lamb's uh, name recognition, his, uh, he will have a bit of a record at that point, um, and his moderate uh, politics, that that too will be a pretty good fit for attracting, as he has shown he can in uh, the election yesterday, attracting disgruntled, disgusted Republicans and independents as well, as well as keeping a more liberal, perhaps, Democratic voter still willing to go to the polls. I say this because I'm very nervous about it. I think if there had been a primary to uh, run for this seat, uh, the 18th Congressional District, the election last night, I don't know that a Connor Lamb would have won it if we the people had gone to the polls because we the people tend to put in more liberal candidates. And I will posit this, that a more liberal candidate than Connor Lamb would not have won. If he has won, which he appears to have, he won by a whisker. A more liberal Democrat who did not say, I won't vote for Nancy Pelosi, who was not pictured uh, with a, you know, a rifle in his hands, who is not a former Marine, who is not personally opposed to abortion but agrees with the uh, law, uh, saying it is not his choice to make. If a more liberal, progressive Democrat were to have run rather than Connor Lamb, we would not be looking at a flipped district today. And my gut tells me that's going to be the same case if we want to knock off the noxious Keith Rothfuss. And so if Connor Lamb will have to run a, a primary, Democratic primary, and if he does and he's outflanked by more than one uh, attractive candidate on his left, he will perhaps not prevail unless all the other candidates split the vote up and he manages to. I would say the best bet to take down Rothfuss is Connor Lamb. He's already shown to be a winner, uh, a, a David taking on a, uh, I'm not in Saccone, a, a, a Goliath, but just in the makeup of the district, uh, Republican Goliath, and, uh, and emerging victorious. So I'm just putting that out there for you because this is going to pop up. Um, I haven't seen it talked about yet 
because as I said, uh, this hasn't even officially <laughs> been declared. But that's my sense. And here's where the Democratic Party, which is at war with itself, uh, at least there are factions in the party, the Bernie guys, and then the more pragmatic types, and whatever you want to say. What we see here is when Democrats stick together with people who can win, we will prevail. If we choose candidates who represent a majority of the voters, <laughs> in other words, if we choose winners, not purists, not ideologues, not unproven, whatever. We need to be smart, and we need to stop tripping ourselves up. That's all I'm saying. And, of course, we can argue amongst ourselves, which we will, ad nauseum, about what that entails, tripping ourselves up. Okay. The Democratic Party has always prided itself on being a big tent party. We encompass people who don't agree on everything. I don't agree with Connor Lamb on a lot of issues. I would have voted for him with a full heart if I'd had the vote. And speaking of that, how funny was it how many people who are not in that district went to vote yesterday and were confused. And, and, and I actually was at a dinner last night and um, a very intelligent man <laughs> who I know, a guy with more education than I have, uh, graduate degrees, he thought he was going to vote yesterday until somebody disabused him of the notion. And he said, well, you know, I mean, I've just been listening to all those ads. I can't turn on the TV, and I just began to feel so strongly about it, and I wanted to, and blah, 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 and I lost track of where... I, what this dis where this district was. So I think, I, God knows how many people did that, but um, I understand the uh, the mistake and I appreciate the, 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 the desire to be uh, a party uh, to uh, helping Connor Lamb succeed. Uh, here to coming to you guys, Chuck says, last night there was a knock at the door at 545. It was a Connor Lamb volunteer. Wow. Two and a half hours before the polls closed, asking if we had voted yet. Wow. And if not, would we need a drive to the polls? Wow. And on Monday night, we had another Lamb supporter at our door asking if he could schedule a ride to the polls for us. That is, isn't that wonderful? And those were volunteers. Those were regular people. They weren't getting paid to do that. The Saccone campaign had paid people. They had some volunteers too, of course, but they had hundreds of paid door knockers. Um, and that also speaks to why Connor Lamb won. Um, Chuck writes, and over the past three weeks, no less than a half dozen Lamb volunteers canvassing my neighborhood compared to just one Saccone that I am aware of. Uh, Chuck says, I have never experienced that level of campaigning before in my voting lifetime. Lamb was well organized. This is the kind of effort that will be required from each and every Democrat running in November. 
yeah, I mean, and I'm sure there are a lot of um, potential candidates gunning for some of these uh, Republican current uh, congressmen in, in, uh, who are in uh, iffy districts now uh, that will be looking at Connor Lamb's playbook because clearly he put out a playbook for people wanting to knock off a Republican, a sitting Republican, uh, acknowledging what that voting base is. Uh, we've got a caller. Hello, caller. Hi, Lynn. Hi. Susie from Sushan Park. Hi. Just waking up. Mm-hmm. I, I called you yesterday and told you I was working right. polls in forward one. Um, I did ask them yesterday um, how they did with the Trump election, and they told me that Trump won in a major landslide. There. Yeah, and how did he win in that dis- uh, in that little bailiwick you were in? Uh, Do you know? Stone won in my polling place and the polling place next to me, but um, not as in my polling place. It was one seventeen to fifty eight. And in the polling place next to me, it was 119 to 80. So that was tighter than exactly what Trump. Yeah, it was tighter than what Trump. Uh, Trump ran away with those precincts. Right. Yeah. Were, well, it shows a lot of young people. Uh huh. It shows it shows uh, disillusionment on the Republican side and a lot of passion and excitement. Maybe voters who hadn't voted for Hillary. I'm sure there are people who didn't vote for Hillary Clinton who were Democrats who came back, uh, maybe Republicans who, viewing the president's uh, behavior in office, were so repulsed that they chose to voice that uh, they're disgusted by voting for a Democrat. Who knows? I mean, each individual voter has their own reason for why they did what they did, but um, obviously... If the New York Times had a had a map out of the district today, and they put a red arrow, um, excuse me, a blue arrow, every in every precinct that had gone from Trump to to blue, and it, it's just all oh over. I, I mean, they're that. just all over the place. I mean, just huge, huge. So wow. this is a real repute. Yeah repudiation of um, and, and another thing uh, this precinct in particular they said that they average maybe 25 voters on a, on a an election that yeah. is not a presidential off year right right so they really I mean we were hopping yesterday all day long we really were well that's they fantastic were at how many people came Okay, I want to I want to correct something I just said. Those blue arrows, uh that blue arrow map is not necessarily a precinct that went to the Democrats. They were showing where precincts shifted um in the margin where more which became more democratic than it had been and it's all over it's all over the district. Except for Westmoreland County which for some reason, refused to release its precinct totals. 
Um, I know there was a lot of consternation in the national with the national media saying they'd never encountered that before. What was going on? Every other county did. I believe Westmoreland has in the past, and there was a lot of concern about why all of a sudden they were refusing to release those totals. I don't. I I don't understand. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's all public information. That's right. Very so, strange. When you get down to it. It's all public information. And that, as you know, is a um, Westmoreland went, uh, obviously, I think, and most strongly for um, for Sacone. So who knows? And it made people start wondering if they were cooking books there or something. But whatever. Right. Um, uh, we'll see. But again, interesting. And and thank you for putting in those long hours. I know. Oh my you don't gosh! I, I it, took, it took me an hour to get there yesterday. Yeah. And then to get to the uh, return station, it, it took a while, and then you know a while to get home. But yeah. I was I, it was a 20-hour day for me yesterday. Wow. Again, I can only thank you. Not many, <laughs> not many of us citizens do do I that important work. Well, good. I'm glad. Maybe not so much today, but yeah, you'll be back. I know in harness for the next. Uh, next primary. Thank oh, you yeah. so I start teaching in a couple of weeks. Okay. The next election. Thank you, Susie. Appreciate it. Sure, take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Um all righty. Uh, back to Henry says so the Republicans are spinning the lamb victory saying that he's a dino. Right, right. I've heard a lot of that yesterday. Democrat in name only because he's pro-gun and personally anti-abortion. I want to underscore that. And he's really just a Republican. That is so not true. That is so not true. He will be, in large part, a very reliable vote in uh, for the Democratic Party. Come on. What do we want? I mean, we want a bunch of uh, clones. We want robots. Everybody votes a certain way. You know, I'm never a purist. I'm not. I can't be. I can't be. To me, it's like checking your brain at the door. Uh, no, and Lamb is one of us, and I say that as a Democrat. Um, Henry says, I'm tired of hearing that Saccone was a weak candidate. If he was so weak, why did the Republicans put him forward? Yeah, he was the best they had, apparently. Call it what it is. This was a referendum on Donald Trump. I absolutely agree with you. Plain and simple. That's what this was. It was Trump's loss more than Saccone. Saccone was a, a lousy candidate in that he ran as Trump. Did he not? He said, oh, I was Trump before Trump was Trump. Well, okay. You want to be Trump? Here's what we want to say to you. Right. And then the despicable thing he said yesterday. That's not somebody who's going to win. You don't call, uh, you know, people who maybe were inclined to vote for you, uh, haters of their country and haters of God, what, because they don't vote for you? you got to be kidding me. Allison says he's going, uh, Trump's going to Israel. He is? See, I'm not paying enough attention. To cut the ribbon for the new embassy in Jerusalem? You're kidding. He's going to meet with North Korea, maybe, and he's going to make the decision on the Iran deal. 
and all this, oh, I see your point, with no Secretary of State, at least not a confirmed Secretary of State, and no ambassadors in uh, many, 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 many countries, no undersecretaries of state all over the map. Allison asks a rhetorical question, what could go wrong? I can't imagine. Uh, something that, um, where did I see this, which made my, my blood run cold? Oh, that with Trump doing what he did yesterday, with firing, uh, firing Tillerson in a tweet, with firing uh, Tillerson's spokesman and then the underspokesman and then just going berserk and suggesting that there's more heads to roll, uh, H.R. McMaster's is looking iffy, you know, he's been after Jeff Sessions, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the New York Times has this uh, sentence in their coverage. It suggests that after a year of chaotic on-the-job training, Mr. Trump has developed more confidence in his own instincts. In other words, before he kind of sometimes sort of listened to the people around him because he was in such a strange place with strange rules he didn't understand in strange ways. He'd been there over a year. He figures he's got it down. He knows he's a real quick learner because he's so smart. And he's always said, I go by my gut. And if the rest of his tenure is going to be Trump, being Trump, then you better fasten your seatbelt a little bit tighter. It's, it's a really frightening possibility. And I would say almost certainty. Uh, Brooke says... This win will undoubtedly energize the Democratic base, but uh, let's hope it also gives us some new perspective. Well, you're going to say what I said, right? Lamb is an interesting hybrid. He's a moderate. That's okay. If the Democratic Party is anything, it is an eclectic mix with plenty of room for everyone and every type of candidate. For the primaries, let's not, she says in caps, nominate far-left-leaning Democrats. Thank you, Brooke. You can do that if you're in a district. Let's say you could maybe win with a far-left-leaning Democrat uh, in the city, in an urban setting. Uh, you can in California. You can in certain places. But you can't if you want to flip a Republican district. You can't. Duh. So Democratic voters in the upcoming primaries, they're, these primaries are the most important primaries I can think of ever. People generally don't think of primaries as terribly important. But we have a chance of getting back a toehold, an actual position of some power. 
in our government, the House of Representatives. That would mean if Democrats control the House, all of those disgusting uh, committee chairs are going to be gone, out, every one of them. And every single committee in the House of Representatives will be chaired by a Democrat. That means Democrats will decide what gets investigated and what does not. Democrats will control. Democrats will keep noxious bills from ever making it to the president's desk. We have got to take the house back. We have got to keep in mind that the way you do that, the way we can do that, is we have to flip 24 seats currently held by Republicans. And we have to retain the seats we have. We have to be very smart about who we run. We have to run people who not necessarily are representing every single thing that we want. You can never find that person anyway. We want people who are going to win. And just stop and think that if there had been a primary and Connor Lamb had been on that ballot, but so had some real lefties. You would have voted for the real lefty. Just saying. And that real lefty would have gone down in flames. Not necessarily flames, but would not have won last night. Because Connor Lamb almost didn't. We got to be smart. We do not want to be ideological. We have one purpose. Keep your eye on the prize. That is taking back the House of Representatives and choosing our standard bearers very carefully. Get away from one issue voting. Get away from anything that absolutely is a must to you. Make sure we've got winners. I know some of your you purists don't agree with that, but fine and dandy. You guys rarely win anything. Okay. All right, so Tillerson is out. And the woman Trump wants in is a woman named Gina Haspel. Uh, who knew? I never heard of her, but uh, it turns out that on paper she's about as qualified, she's more qualified than Pompeo, who has been the CIA, who is currently the CIA director, uh, and perhaps soon to be our Secretary of State, good God in heaven. Uh, Gina Haspel has been his, right under him, his deputy. She's been with the CIA forever. She has been in almost every job you would want a director to have been in. I mean, it, her institutional knowledge, 
her understanding of how that uh, agency functions. Uh, I would imagine the goodwill she probably has with a number of uh, folks uh, within the CIA would be pretty large. Um, all of that, but there's one big problem with her. Also, I might add she's, um would be the first woman to head the CIA. There's a problem. It's in her past, her sort of recent past. It is immediately after 9-11, and I'm sure you can bring yourself back to that time because in October, immediately after 9-11, uh, she was appointed and sent to, dispatched, as it were, uh, to what was a secret uh, prison that I don't know if it already existed in, Th in Thailand or was quickly set up there. This was a place where the CIA intended to take any people that they captured, who they felt were responsible or in any part part of uh, terrorism, uh, the terrorism of 9-11 or um, other terrorism, and they would be uh, brought to this site, which was called... I mean, this is one of the, this is called, you know, like a black site. Um, it had some bizarre name that I'm, I'm blanking on. Uh, but she was put in, in charge of that prison. That's how already respected she was, that she was put in charge of the prison where the people that we were, we were rounding up who we felt bore responsibility for that attack on us um, would be questioned. Questioned is not quite the right word because, as we know, uh, that site was a torture site. So she ran that, that prison um, for for some time, and I'm, I'm I don't have I mean obviously we're all going to learn more about her um, soon enough, so I don't have my timelines clear, but she uh, did um, have a large role in uh, the torturing, waterboarding, uh, sleep deprivation, a lot of a lot of stuff that would be called um, I think cruel and um, against international law. Um, and she also was party to the destruction of tapes that were taken of the torture. I can see why you would tape it in the... I suppose you tape it, I guess, for internal reasons, but... Um, that is the kind of stuff you wouldn't want getting out. But the apparently the legal counsel uh, for the CIA had uh, 
said, had told the CIA that destroying the tapes would be a very, very bad idea, and uh, yet they were destroyed, and um, I don't know that it was her call, but she definitely went around with, she went along with it. Um, that behavior in her past uh, forced uh, her to be blocked from some promotions that required Senate approval uh, in the past. So this is going to be a very interesting uh, uh, Senate uh, approval uh, experience. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. If she hadn't done all that, I mean, I suppose I'd be saying this is fantastic, a woman running the CIA, but uh, as you know, John McCain immediately came out. He's, he ain't voting for her because we know how he feels about torture as somebody who was tortured. She, I'm sure, is a very courageous woman. She's... Uh, was a clandestine CIA operative uh, in uh, many countries in the world. So she uh, she's lived a, a pretty extraordinary uh, life. But unfortunately, she was she was right there in um, in the middle of what now uh, will go down in history as one of our um, not particularly finest hours. So we'll see what happens with her. Uh, Pompeo at, at, uh, st at the State Department is uh, every bit as frightening to me. Uh, unbelievable. He's not, I've never thought of Pompeo as a diplomat in any way, in every way that I've ever uh, known him, uh, just by virtue of paying attention. He's, he's a, he, he's just a hawk. And I'm sure that's why Donald Trump wants him as Secretary of State, because Tillerson was too diplomatic. And he wants somebody who's like himself. So if Trump's about to appoint a bunch of little Trump Trumpites and Trumpistas, uh, we're, we're in big, big trouble. Seriously. Or I w trouble's not the word. I would suggest the word is uh, danger. Oh, boy. You know, I was supposed to, <laughs> I, I suspected it would happen. I was supposed to be on MSNBC yesterday afternoon. Um, after It was after the show. So after the show, I was picked up uh, by some car service and uh, schlepped to a very nice studio I've never been in before. Um, and um, there to await my appearance. And uh, the guy who ran the studio came out and introduced himself and said he was a big fan and all that. And we talked for a while, and he said, what you're here for, uh, talk about uh, the election? I said, yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. I said, but I, I got serious doubts whether um, I'm going to make it. I said, I think I'll be bumped. He said, well, they already did bump somebody that was uh, supposed to be on, some consultant that was supposed to be on, 
at three o'clock. I said, well, I'm I'm sure I'm going to be bumped, but as of now, I don't have that information. Then about 20 minutes later, sure enough, in came the phone call. Hey, we're sorry, but yeah, they're going with Tillerson, 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 Tillerson. Not that they didn't cover um, the Saccone Lamb race, but they they covered it only as a uh, field report from their reporter here, and then uh, did not have a panel, did not have, which I guess I would have been on. And I thought it was sort of funny for somebody who has uh, eschewed, gesundheit, uh, MSNBC and CNN, uh, because I'm, I'm just find it um, stress-inducing, and I'm into, as you know, being more zen-like. Um, I uh, thought it was funny that I might be on it uh, as opposed to watching it, but join the yappers who I now studiously avoid. But I was saved by Donald Trump. Thank you, President Trump, or not. Because I was sort of, you know, into having the experience. And uh, But, uh, yeah, Trump's uh, going after Tillerson me off. Are you aware, by the way, of a little story that um, I saw, I think, a few days ago, um, and, and this is speaking to, I was, I, it made me think of it because Trump in California yesterday being his usual charming self, and um, how ICE uh, and Attorney General Jefferson Beauregard Sessions uh, has been after the mayor of Oakland. Uh, I guess her name is Libby. Sha I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Schaff or Schaaf, uh, because she was informed or got wind of the fact that ICE was uh, going to stage a big uh, roundup of um, people who don't have the right papers in her city and uh, they were going after about a thousand people that they had the names and they and and she went out publicly and warned Oakland that ICE was going to do this uh, imminently and uh, to uh, you know get out of Dodge or hide yourselves or evade to help these people evade uh, being uh, rounded up and and deported. Well, my God, you can imagine the steam coming out of uh, out of the administration's ears. And uh, I know Sessions uh, went ballistic and made a statement. I had it here that. Uh, that she had helped 864 criminal aliens and public safety threats to avoid capture. And uh, the guy who is the spokesman for ICE um, in San Francisco where all this was going down, 
was the guy who had to go out and uh, say those things, speak for uh, the agency's uh, San Francisco division, and uh, say that uh, public, uh, the public safety had been uh, violated, put at risk because of what the mayor had done, because these people that were going to be rounded up were these dangerous uh, dangers to public safety and criminals, criminal aliens. When in fact, what most of them were, the large, 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 large part of them were, we know what they were. We've seen heartbreaking videos of the people that they were. They were mothers. They were fathers. They were people who had been here for 30 years. They were people with uh, children, young children, depending on them, who are American citizens. Uh, they are dreamers. They simply don't have the right paperwork. That doesn't make them a danger to you or me or anybody else. Hardworking people. And the guy who's been the spokesman for a long, 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 long time, he resigned. He resigned. He said, I can no longer bear the burden of spreading falsehoods. Let's, let's take that big word out and say lies. That's what he's saying. Of spreading lies on behalf of the Trump administration. So after he did these initial, he couldn't sleep, he couldn't live with himself, and he resigned because he could not spread the lies that Sessions and his own division chief insisted that he spread. He was quoted as telling the San Francisco Chronicle that he said, I asked them to change the information referring to these 864 people that they didn't get in the manner that they had referred to them. And I said, that's just simply wrong. And they said, well, you know what you're, we want you to say. And he said... I just couldn't, I took some time, and I quit. I just couldn't bear the burden, he said, continuing on as a representative, representative of the agency and charged with upholding integrity, knowing that the information was false. And he went on to say that in 16 years of government service uh, in capacities like this, public information, he had never been asked to lie to the public. There's a profile in courage. There's a profile in courage. God bless him.
I should give you his name. He hasn't. He's not nameless. Uh, James Schwab. James Schwab. So he's now out of work. Uh, what else we got here? Eh? Eh? Let me see. What time we got? Okay. Oh, a fascinating thing. Uh, the, the receptionist here is always giving me his, he, he's a subscriber to the uh, National Geographic. And uh, Rodney has come to, uh, after scouring each of the issues he gets, he, he very kindly uh, gives them to me. And always with the recommendation, you got to read that one. And uh, a lot of them have been about, uh, you know, stuff that we really don't know enough about, like uh, how Norway is dealing with some, uh, you know, social issue, or how uh, the Netherlands are uh, keeping back the sea and know more about, you know, with coastal cities now having to deal with uh, rising, uh, rising water levels, and, and how so much of this stuff uh, other countries, other areas are so far ahead of us. It's just mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And in that regard, I now recommend National Geographic for any provincial. If you know a provincial American who thinks we're the best at everything, a, uh, a subscription to National Geographic would be a really good Christmas gift. And it could be, you know... I mean, for those of you who have, like, uh, you know, like Trump voters in your family, and uh, you want to give them a, a nice gift, that would be a great gift because it would broaden their horizons. It wouldn't have to be thought of as, a you know, you trying to change their mind about anything. National Geographic has been around for uh, 130 years. Um, and... That's sort of what what I'm getting to. The fact that um, that National Geographic was heading into their 130th year, uh, the magazine decided that they should put out some kind of very special uh, edition marking uh, the anniversary. But their editor-in-chief, Susan Goldberg, a globalist, that's the new word for Jew. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah, Globalist. Um, Susan Goldberg said, you know, if we're going to celebrate that we've been around for 130 years, I think we better be mindful of the fact that for much of our history, much of the history of this magazine, we have perpetuated racism. Now imagine that coming from an editor-in-chief as we say she sits around a conference room uh, with her staff talking about, the, you know, celebrating the magazine's 130th anniversary. And she said, we need to do this in the proper way. And so... They um, they hired 
a professor who studies both the history of Africa, which the National Geographic covered widely in its history, and it's how uh, most Americans, I think, in as much as they knew anything about Africa, sort of came to know Africa. It's how young boys in the 30s, 40s, and 50s uh, saw their first breasts because the National Geographic was always publishing photographs of naked African women. And um, she had this professor who was a specialist in photography and Africa. Strange, because that's sort of where the National Geographic uh, had been in, in often. And asked him to look at all the past issues go back all the way back, asked him to write up a report, and he did, and the report, report was scathing. It was withering. And rather than bury it, his research now has a prominent placement in this latest issue under the headline this for decades our coverage was racist to rise above our past we must acknowledge it and then they begin that acknowledgement um he wrote, the uh, professor, through most of its history, not some, not much, but most, through most of its history, National Geographic, in words and images, reproduced a racial hierarchy with brown and black people at the bottom and white people at the top. And anyone who, I mean, I remember my childhood often looking at National Geographic, you betcha. And they say that this went well into the 70s. So that would be, my God, most of its history. National Geographic perpetuated racism. And as supposedly a scholarly publication misinformed its readership that whites were superior in every way to blacks and browns and anyone who wasn't white. So you wonder, you know, when we talk about racism being so ingrained and in the blood, in the bone that of our culture and how so few of us are willing to face it and acknowledge that there's no way if you grew up here that you don't have 
those images, those that misinformation lurking in your head or having primacy in your head and in your heart. And how, I mean, because we're, in these times, we are seeing a willingness, I think, uh, again, uh, to acknowledge the horrors of our history and to try to make amends in as much as that is possible and to certainly move forward by ensuring that we do not continue to perpetuate this in our children and in future generations. And boy, little starts, little steps. This is one, and it's a little step. But it helps show the way for what I think every publication in this country needs to do an issue like this. The New York Times, which is where I'm looking at this piece, needs to do this. The Post-Gazette needs to do it. Every publication. We need to look at the school books that we had as children, that we learned from. That we learned misinformation from where whole chapters never got written, right? Boy, do we have a lot of work to do. The New York Times piece says that the National Geographic self-reflection is among the most direct admissions of past sins from a media organization. That means there's a whole hell of a whole bunch, including the paper that published this article, that needs to do that need to do the same thing. So the professor pointed out things like this. In a 1916 story in the National Geographic about Australia, there was a photo caption of, this was a picture of some aboriginal people, and the caption said this, South Australian blackfellows, these savages rank lowest in intelligence of all human beings. I mean, so people, you, you read that, you read that in a National Geographic, and uh-huh, oh yeah, they sure don't look like us. My God, look at them. Don't even know to put clothes on. Jeez. It's a totally false statement. Totally false. There's no truth in it at all. And National Geographic was thought to be a, and still is, a scientific publication. The professor wrote, there was a complete absence of urban, educated Africans in the magazine's pages. 
black people were regularly presented as static, primitive, non-technological, often unclothed, presented as savages, and that image, which persisted until the 1970s, shaped how the magazine's readers, largely white, perceived black people. That would have been my formative years. When I said science, I remembered I have not noted the passing of Stephen Hawking, and um, I note it now, I'm sure, um, maybe tomorrow I'll give it more time. A remarkable man who uh, said the one thing that he couldn't get close to ever comprehending were women. <laughs> All right, so this mysterious woman is uh, saying to do, I mean, ta ta, da da, to do, da done, da done, da, whatever it is I was trying to say, I'm done. And uh, see you tomorrow, okay? Toodaloo. I think that was it. Lynn Cullen Live. Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers. <laughs>